Tonight we're going to be talking about Joshua and the Battle of Jericho. And you know the song, Joshua fought the Battle of Jericho. Yeah, yeah, so we're not going to go into, this is not a, we can do jazz hands, but like, we're not going to go into a full choral special. (laughs) But here's the thing, as we've been walking through these as we've been walking through these stories of, um, of the Old Testament, we've really been trying to look at them in more of their biblical context, you know, trying to find the parts that are maybe not like, not child screened, you know, like that's what we've been kind of really trying to look at is like looking at the story in its full context. And in reality, if you read this whole story in Joshua 6, basically the child version of the story is, the version of the story that's in the Bible. There's not a whole lot of gruesome detail or PG-13 parts like some other stories we've looked at. So tonight, instead of really like diving in and looking at the story as a whole, we're going to dive in and look at more of the meaning behind the story. Because, you know, obviously when we've done each of these, we've talked about the story in the whole, and then we've talked about like what the application is for us today. But today we're going to look at the story briefly, and then we're going to talk a little bit more extendedly about what this story is about. So, before we get started, <clears throat> I want to recap back to December. And we did a series called Women of Christmas. And one of the women we talked about was Rahab. And I'm not going to go, I'm not going to recap Rahab's entire story because we just talked about it. But I want to bring it up because it is an important aspect of this story because she was involved in it. And so we know that Rahab was someone who lived in Jericho. Okay, she was a Canaanite. And she harbored two Israelite spies who came to scout out Jericho for them to come in and conquer, essentially. And when the king sent guards to go find these spies, she protected them, kept them safe, in return for her family being kept safe when God and the Israelites overtook Jericho. And we talked about how she hung a scarlet cord on her window to denote where she was. And we talked about the connection between the Passover that we saw in in Exodus, like literally last, or not last week, but two weeks ago, we talked about the 10 plagues. And the last one was the, the, the... angel of death and how they covered their door frames with blood for it to pass over. And the Israelites now celebrate that as an annual tradition. And so out of almost like a callback to that or a reference to it, we see Rahab put a scarlet cord over her window so that God will know where to provide protection. So that's the first part of our story we see here. <clears throat> and so now we look at where the Israelites are, okay? And we know that we know where we left off. Moses had just had them exit from Egypt. We didn't really talk about this part of the story a whole lot, but we know the whole story about Moses and God parting the Red Sea for the Israelites to cross. And then the Egyptians were all drowned in the Red Sea as they chased after them. 
Well, what we didn't really talk about was that Moses then led God's people and the plan was that they would go straight to the promised land. But even though God had done all these plagues, done all this provision and provided for them, they turned their back on God and they started worshiping false idols. And Moses caught them doing this, chastised them. God gives the Ten Commandments and all the Israelites break the Ten Commandments. And so God punishes them by telling them they're going to be stranded in the desert for 40 years. Well, he doesn't tell them how long. It ended up being 40 years. Okay. <clears throat> and so while they're in the desert, part of their punishment was that none of that generation, none of the people alive would live to see the promised land except Moses because he was faithful. Well, then we see while they're wandering in the wilderness, the Israelites get grumpy and cranky and they start to complain to Moses about how annoyed they are with the whole process. And Moses ends up kind of losing his cool. The, the story's a little bit longer. This isn't the story we're talking about today. But ultimately, Moses, they're, they're thirsty and God tells Moses to go speak to a rock and have it draw, draw water from this rock. And instead of speaking to it, Moses hits it with his staff, almost out of frustration about the whole situation. And because of this act against God and disobedience to God, Moses then is also punished with not being able to enter into the promised land. <clears throat> Which seems like a pretty major punishment for a minor infraction, but that's neither here nor there. So what this leads us to is the fact that the Israelites needed a new leader, okay? This is the end of Moses' life. And he had a couple people that were kind of his right-hand people or second command. And one of those was Joshua. And Joshua ends up stepping up after Moses dies and becoming the leader of the Israelites, okay? <clears throat> and we see God tell the Israelites that it is now time for them to enter into the promised land. And the last place, the last thing they need to conquer is Jericho. So he sends the spies in. We realize that Jericho is this highly, heavily fortified city. Giant walls all the way around it. <clears throat> and we know from biblical accounts that Jericho was very aware of the fact that the Israelites were coming and they thought that they were going to be taking over their land. And so Jericho was not allowing anyone in or out of the city. So their walls, all their doors, all their gates, everything was bolted, locked, shut. Everything was closed down. They were enclosed in their city. And so it seems that these Israelites, who are basically nomads at this point, don't have a lot of weaponry, definitely don't have any capability to break down a fortified city's walls, are kind of out of luck. So God sends a messenger. And we see this at the end of chapter 5 of Joshua. And Joshua comes across this messenger and he falls down before him and he asks, are you for us or for our enemy? And this angel we know was a commander. So this is a high, probably an archangel, says that he is a commander of the Lord's army and he has now come. And he brings a message to Joshua about a very specific 
set of things that the Israelites must do to conquer Jericho. I'm not going to read you all of the details of it, but here's the gist of it. In Joshua 6, verses 3 through 5, He says, march around the city with all the armed men. Do this for six days. Have seven priests carry trumpets and ram's horns in front of the ark. On the seventh day, march around the city seven times with the priests blowing the trumpets. When you hear them sound a long blast on the trumpets, have all the people give a loud shout. And then the walls of the city will collapse and people will go up every man straight in. Okay. So we have the Israelites unable to conquer this land and we see God give them a way to conquer this land if they follow a specific set of instructions, which clearly has not been the Israelites' strong suit up to this point, right? They have continued to struggle to follow God's commands over and over and over. And they, they seem like odd instructions, but yet they also seem like simple instructions, Right? It's walk around the city once a day, and then on the seventh day, do it seven times and then scream. But we have to remember, and I think I I tend to forget this when I think about this story, that this was not a small task. Okay? The city of Jericho was not a small little, like, community. It was a vast city. So when we talk about walking around it, we're not talking about like walking around our church campus or even walking around like the town square here in Lowell. We're talking about walking around the entire city limits of Lowell, okay? Which I looked it up today and I didn't get an exact measurement on the distance around Lowell, but I think... I think it's about 40 miles if you, tra- if you travel the entire edge, okay? <clears throat> so, honestly, I don't think Jericho was quite that big because it doesn't make sense that they could have done that seven times in one day. But you have to remember that this was not just a hey, we're going to get up, we're going to walk around it by 9 a.m., and then we're just going to relax the rest of the day, okay? This was like at least at least a, a seventh of their day was spent walking around the city. And this was a tiring task because not only did they have to walk around it physically, they had to carry things, they had to carry the ark, they had to carry the trumpets, the horns. A lot of them probably brought certain possessions and certain things with them when they came they didn't they probably left like their tents and stuff there but they brought some stuff with them because they didn't want their camp to be pillaged while they were gone but on top of all this we see joshua give them a command that we don't see god say but we we can infer that god meant it because joshua told them to do it But he tells all the Israelites that not only can they not speak while they're walking around the wall, but they cannot speak for the entire week. Not even a word is what it says. They're required to be silent during this process. 
So all of a sudden, what, what, when we read this story, seems like maybe a small little task. Like, oh, just walk around the city and yay. Is actually a much bigger ask. And we can probably imagine that by day four or day five or day six, the Israelites are getting really tired of this. Like, they're like, why can God just not give it to us now? Why can we not just walk around it on day one, yell one time, and then it all goes down and we win? And I think that really leads to what we're going to talk about more in a second, the meaning behind this, and that's really about being obedient to God. Because God wanted to see that the Israelites truly trusted him. Like this was really a test for them. They've been wandering in the wilderness for 40 years because of their disobedience. So God needed to see that they truly could be obedient to him before he gave them this. (coughs) And so we see the Israelites do exactly what God told them to do. Exactly what Joshua led them to do. And as a result of this, the walls of Jericho fall. The Israelites are able to march in. And anyone who survived the collapsing of this walls, they were able to strike them down. And God gives a command then to destroy everything in the city. He says, burn it to the ground. That means... All the properties, all the houses, all the structures, all the people, all the possessions, everything. Burn it down. And that they should keep none of the stuff of Jericho for themselves. And we see in, this is an interesting passage. We see in Joshua 6, 26. God also tell them never to rebuild Jericho. It says at this time, Joshua pronounced a solemn oath, cursed before the Lord is the man who undertakes the rebuild of this city, Jericho. At the cost of his firstborn son, will he lay its foundations? And at the cost of his youngest, he will set up the gates. (coughs) Which seems a little strange that we see this right here. But we'll see how that comes into play in just a second. And I don't know about you guys. But after seeing and hearing the stories of what the years in the desert were like for the Israelites and about how God's people disobeyed him and were punished severely and about how when they obeyed him, God worked for them. I would listen to the commands of God at this point. Like, that's me personally. I would be like, okay, we've had enough of this disobedience. We literally have seen that when we are obedient to God, God works in our favor. And when we're disobedient, he, he punishes us. So I'm going to be obedient to God. But no, we see a man named Achan take some of the valuables from Jericho. He lists them out in the next passage. It's some, some wardrobes, some like robes ornate robes, some gold, some silver, stuff like that. And he doesn't tell anyone. And as a result of his sin and disobedience to God, when the Israelites go into their next battle against the, the city of Ai, 
they are struck down even though they had the advantage. They had more men. They had better assets. But yet the Israelites were struck down in that battle. And we see that God is punishing these people because of their disobedience again. And then we see a story in 1 Kings 16 where a man named Heel decides that he wants to rebuild Jericho, which we just read about was a big no-no. And we see the fulfillment of this curse that Joshua put on it because in the process of rebuilding Jericho, Heel loses his oldest son and his youngest son. And that's documented in here. And so we continue to see this cycle of if you're obedient to God, God blesses you and God works for you and God provides for you. And if you're disobedient to God, then he punishes you and you struggle and things don't go your way. So what does this mean for us today? Like we, we, we know the story. Right, we, we understand the story of Jericho. But what does it mean for us today? How can we apply this story in 2022 to our lives? <clears throat> and honestly, I feel like we are in the same position that the Israelites were when the walls of Jericho had just fallen. And let me explain what I mean by that. We all sit here And we would all say that if you obey God, God blesses you and works for you. And if you disobey God, God punishes you. Literally, we would all say this. It's written throughout scripture. And yet all of us sit here. And, and you, can, you can sit here and try to convince me otherwise of this, but you're not going to succeed. But in reality, God has blessed us all. Like we may have bad parts of our lives. We may have things we struggle with. But in reality, God has blessed us immensely in our lives. All of us. But we've been blessed to such a, such a great extent that I think we've lost are focused on obeying him. We've become people who just expect God to be at our beck and call. We expect that when we have a problem, we can pray to God and God will intervene. We, we, we talk about it. We sit here and we talk at church all the time about, oh, you should, you should pray regular or, oh, something bad happened. We should all pray and God will intervene. And I'm not saying that that's not true because it is. But what I'm saying is that we treat God like some sort of vending machine that whenever we uh, need something, We just go up to it, put a quarter in, and good things come out. When in reality, we have to be people who obey God to be on his to have his favor. And on the flip side, if anything goes wrong in our life, we sit there and we blame God and we say, Why are you allowing this to happen? Why have you done this to me? And in reality, we never reflect on the fact that we are living constantly in disobedience to God. I mean, we can all look at our lives, every single one of us, and find 
areas of sin that we don't care about. That's the key. Areas of sin that we allow to be present in our lives that's disobedience to God. And then we wonder why things go wrong in our lives. Guys, it's not hard to figure out. Literally, if you are disobedient to God, I'm not saying he sends these bad things to punish you, but those bad things are a result of the sin in your life. We spend really little to no time dwelling on what commands God gives to us and striving to achieve them. Instead, we just pity ourselves and say, woe is me, my life is so horrible. When in reality, we should be looking at ourselves and figuring out what we're doing wrong and how we're being disobedient to God. And I'm not saying everything that's bad that happens to you is a punishment from God for you being naughty. Like that's not what it is. But we have to realize that these that, that bad things that happen in our world, like literally we know that every, every evil that has come into the world came from Adam and Eve's sin. So we know, biblically speaking, that all evil in the world is a derivative of our sin. Thousands and thousands of years later, we are no better than Achan, who instead of honoring God for delivering them the city of Jericho, disobeyed God for his own personal wishes and his own personal glory. And I want to be clear. I want to be very abundantly clear of what I'm about to say. This conversation we're having right here is not some sort of prosperity gospel conversation where it's like, if you love God and do, and you're generally a good person, you will be successful and fortunate. Like, that's not what I'm saying. (coughs) Nor is this about an idea of being obedient to God and being someone who fulfills all the Christianly things that you're supposed to do will earn your entrance into heaven because it won't. This conversation is all about being obedient to a God that should be out of abundance to our gratefulness to him for what he's done. Like, I don't know if you guys realize it. I realize it now because I'm a parent. But like, my kids owe me. (laughs) Like, that sounds really weird to say. But like, I've kept those little things alive for many years. Like, they owe me big time. Okay? And so when they smart off to me, like, and and I mean, I'm, I'm sure I've only got many more years of it to come. But like, when they smart off to me, I just want to be like, do you know who I am? Do you know what I have done for you? But in reality, like like everything my kids do should be out of gratefulness to me for keeping them alive. Like I could have just left them alone. Like I'm that's really morbid, but like stick with me. <clears throat> I don't do anything for them. 
They, are, they do not exist. Everything my kids are, they owe to me. Everything they do, they owe to me. And in the same way, everything we are as a human being, our existence, our health, literally everything belongs to God and is due gratefulness to God. So the fact that we sit here and we disobey him is a slap in the face. He should be sitting up there going, do you not know what I have done for you? I've heard people say, and this, this, I'm going to be honest with you guys for a second. <clears throat> this infuriates me more than anything I think at all in being a youth pastor. Is when I hear students or adults or anyone say that they're saved and they're going to heaven so I can just live however I want and it doesn't matter. Like, I'm sure you guys have probably heard people say that. I've heard people say that for sure. And all I can think in the moment when I hear someone say that is how selfish and disrespectful that mindset is. If we choose to call upon the name of Jesus for salvation, and I hope that you all have done that, and if you haven't done that, we can have that discussion later. But if we choose in our lives to call upon the name of Jesus for salvation... We should be so eternally grateful to God that disobeying him never even crosses our mind. And yet each and every one of us in here continues to sin against him on a regular basis. Uh, Do we not get it? Do we not understand? Or do we just not care? And we look at this story and the story of Jericho is really not about Joshua. It's really not about Jericho. It's about obedience to God. We see Rahab be obedient to God and she is rewarded. We see Joshua and the Israelites be obedient to God and they are rewarded. We see Achan heal previous generations of Israelites and even Moses be disobedient to God and are all punished severely. This story is not about a wall. It's not about a trumpet sound. It's not about a big crash. This story is about appreciating what God has done for you through your obedience to him. And this isn't about like some sort of rules of being a Christian. Like I always hear kids talk about that. Like when they come to camp and they get saved and they come back and they're like, so tell me all the rules of being a Christian. Like I know I can't cuss and I can't drink and I can't smoke. Like, no, no, no. This isn't about like the rules of being a Christian. It's about a mindset of gratitude for God's sacrifice that even allows you to be a Christian in the first place. Like, think about it. If God does not send his son, Jesus, and Jesus, who is God, does not choose in the garden to say, not my will, but yours be done, and go to the cross and die, us being Christians isn't even possible. 
So every day we wake up, every decision we make, everything should be out of a gratitude to a God who sacrificed everything so that we could even be a Christian. It's not about following a set of rules or being a goody two-shoes or whatever you want to call it. It's about being eternally grateful to a God who has provided you eternal standing with him forever. This story gets boiled down to just this little fun thing about walking around a wall and the walls come tumbling down and we make songs and everything about it. But yet we forget to pull out the principle. The idea that we need to be obedient to God. We don't need to just pass that off as like, you know what, I, I had a bad day. I was really frustrated and I cussed this guy out. And, but it's okay, God will forgive me. I guess true, he will forgive you, but it's not about that. It's about choosing to live a life obedient to God and honoring God and doing the things that he calls you to do. Like God tells you to go and make disciples of all nations. If you don't go and make disciples of all nations, you're not being appreciative to God for what he's done for you. Plain and simple. So what does that mean for you tonight? I don't know. I know what it means for me. I was writing this lesson and it hit me like a, like a two by four to the face. I was very convicted about certain things in my life that I realized I'm living in disobedience to God. So I don't know what this, I don't know what this is for you tonight. And we're not gonna have some sort of emotional altar call here where you come and like lay your sins on these stairs up here. But each and every one of us in this room needs to take a moment tonight to truly self-evaluate ourselves and find the areas of our life where we are being disobedient to God because that is not not what he sent his son here to die for. He sent his son to die because of our disobedience, not for it. He sent his son to die for us to be obedient to him, to love him, to be grateful for him and to serve him with all that we have. So I'm gonna pray right now and then like, I, I'm not, I'm not going to mandate that anyone get right with God tonight. Like I can't do that. Okay. I can't be like, you are all going to sit here until you are all better Christians. Okay. I can't do that. <clears throat> but I'm going to give the option that when I'm done praying here, if you stay in your seat, everyone else will leave you alone. Is that a fair deal? If someone gets up, you can go talk to them and hang out. But if someone stays in their seat, they are taking a moment to get themselves right with God tonight. Is that a fair deal? Okay. Let me pray for you guys. And then we'll go from there. God, I thank you so much for the sacrifice you made. God, we, are, we, should, we should live our lives so grateful for everything you give us. Please help us to be remembered of that. Please help us to be people who stay focused on our gratefulness to you 
to live our lives in obedience to you because of how much we love you and appreciate all that you do for us, God. God, I'm sorry for the areas where I stray from your path. And I pray that you would just correct me. That you would just help me to be someone who strives to obey you with every ounce of my being because it's all from you anyway, God. God, I pray for these students that you would help them to grow in their relationship with you, to grow in their obedience to you, to grow in their thankfulness to you, God. I pray that as we go from here, that they would have a newfound respect for this story of Joshua and Jericho and a newfound respect for what it means to be obedient to you, God. God, I pray that you bless these students. I pray that your hand would be on them, that you would just bless their obedience in you, God. I pray that as we go from here, you would help us all to take steps to be better people, to be better Christians, but ultimately to just to be better kingdom servers, God. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.